When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Betches Media presents... Donald Trump was a, a stain on our country. I, I'm someone's daughter, too. That's what I'm telling you! So help me God. Congratulations, Mr. President. The Betches Suck Podcast. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Up Podcast, where Twitter meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Happy Wednesday, Caitlin. Happy Wednesday, Amanda. Happy hump day. That is a new verbal intro with a new musical intro for a new year and a new president. All new, all new swag at the front of the podcast. Gotta stay fresh. You know, gotta gotta invigorate with some... Some optimism, perhaps, maybe. Or, you know, it's a new phase of destruction. Also deserves uh, a new intro. Yeah, speaking of which, I don't think we have talked to you in the week since the new administration. How's it going? How have you been feeling? Have you been feeling more at ease? Have you experienced any shifts? Or are you just, is it a minor change in your psyche? Um, well, there's, there's like a lot of layers, right? Because, sure. yeah. <laughs> So, like, one thing is uh, I, I still have problems when people just say the president. Like, I haven't gotten mm-hmm. to a place yet where I'm automatically assuming, like, that's a positive thing. Like, I, I'm now yeah. in, a, in a place where I'm like, please add Biden to that. President Biden believes blah, blah, blah. Because, like, the president, like, we haven't gotten to the place yet where, like, I can just assume that the president is a decent human being trying to do the best for the country. Like, we, I'm... That's not happened yet. Right. Um, exactly, because I always felt pretty strongly that I know a lot of people called him the occupant of the White House and people didn't want to say his name or refer to him as the president. I always felt it was important for us to constantly confront the weight of the fact that he was our president. So I also am sort of like readjusting to saying the president as shorthand for, at least optimistically for these beginning phases, something good and productive. Yeah, exactly. Like it now, like it's working the way it's supposed to, and you had it for like f- for more than four years. We've we've not had it function that way, where it's like a scare chord plays like every time in your head, like every time the word president. <laughs> so there's that. Um, optimistically, like Amanda Gorman, like amazing, giving that that incredible uh, patriotic blackness to the inauguration um uh so that was really nice and uplifting and uh you know in a long tradition and then 
So this all of this balancing out. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I mean, last time we said that we were optimistic about things. What happened? I know. <laughs> what happened in an hour and a half? Okay. A deadly <laughs> insurrection. Like, literally simultaneously. We were like, maybe we should hope for things. And then it was like a coup happened. <laughs> so I'm treading yeah. lightly. <laughs> I've learned I think my I'm lessons with you. from three weeks ago. Let's just put that into perspective. Three weeks ago, they were going to murder our lawmakers over a fake, like a complete lie that they had. The Democrats were actually plotting a coup by allowing Joe Biden to be to be registered as president of the United, the next president of the United States. Well, Wednesdays are always kind of wild, apparently, because we had an insurrection on Wednesday, and then we had an impeachment on Wednesday, and then we had an inauguration on Wednesday. So yeah, I'm with you. Who the fuck knows? I'm scared. Something could be going down on our TV right now. Izzy, Jorge, if anything happens, let us know. (laughs) For real. So for today, we're going to revisit the filibuster and some of its unique historical uses. And we'll also discuss Senate Republicans trying to forget about this insurrection that almost killed them and the virus that is continuing to kill thousands of Americans every day. So the partisan divide in the Senate was pretty crystal clear yesterday after Rand Paul forced a vote on whether having an impeachment trial for Trump was unconstitutional. 45 Republicans voted incorrectly that it was unconstitutional. Uh, There has the overwhelming consensus from constitutional scholars and legal scholars is that it is. um, This isn't really an open question, I think. A good faith open question, right? Yeah. Basically, I mean, yeah, sorry, everybody. I keep, sometimes I forget I'm on a podcast. I just react like with my face to things. Um, (laughs) <laughs> which is amusing for Amanda, but not, not for y'all. Um, so, so you could uh, imagine though my expression when it's like, Oh, this is, this is a good faith argument. Like, of course it's not like Republicans are incapable of good faith arguments. I mean, we're going to get a deficit spending argument any second now. Like we're, anything that they do, all of it is just tailored towards preserving their own power. Um, so yeah, this is about making sure that first of all, they look good to their constituents who are unfortunately, you know, the political equivalent of rabid. Um, and it's very unfortunate, but like, yeah, like basically they want to, they want to keep this group of people who effectively thought it was a good idea to storm the Capitol with weapons, um, placated. Uh, and in, engaged in politics. They do not want to disengage these people from politics. They want to keep them engaged in politics. And they they want to shield Trump from any kind of uh, accountability. And by extension, they want to shield themselves and the party from any kind of accountability over having stoked, prepared, argued, and materially supplied the insurrection that almost killed lawmakers and did kill five Americans. So there's that. And the last peaceful transfer of power we ever had, which was last cycle. 
I think that's such an important distinction that it's not just to placate them, it's to engage them. Like it serves a purpose. Because I think Republicans get an easy way out when other politically minded people can see the political calculus. And it's like, well, what what can it hurt to just like placate them? It's like, well, in this case, it's any anything short of like explicit denunciation of this is is indulging it and engaging them and giving them reason to believe that they will be their beliefs and wants and needs will be accommodated by the party. So this does not bode well for the Senate impeachment trial, which needs 67 votes to convict former President Trump. I would say that was the big conclusion of yesterday. This was a symbolic vote, but it tells us that it doesn't look like 17 Republicans are very motivated to convict the president, which is the former president, which is the only path really to bar him from, well, actually, it's not the only path to bar him from serving federal office again. We also have a 14th Amendment path that we will probably have to explore. Chief Justice Don Roberts, who presided over the first impeachment trial of President Donald Trump, then President Donald Trump, won't be presiding over this trial. He doesn't have to because Trump isn't a sitting president. Instead, Senator Leahy, who is the president pro tempore, will be doing so. You might have seen some alarming reports yesterday that Senator Leahy had gone to the hospital after feeling unwell. He does not appear to have COVID-19. He's been vaccinated twice, but he's 80 and he's third in line for the presidency. So <laughs> they thought it was probably probably worth, or actually, no, he's fourth. No, he's third yeah, after Nancy. It goes yeah. Joe, Kamala, Nancy. And then Patrick. Patrick Leahy. Yeah. Yeah. So that this alone, that Chief Justice Don Roberts is not presiding, Ray and Paul claimed makes impeachment dead on arrival. So let's listen to Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer respond to this claim. By constitutional text, precedent, and common basic sense, it is clearly and certainly constitutional for to hold a trial for a former official. Former President Trump committed, in the view of many, including myself, the gravest offense ever committed by a president of the United States. So pretty, pretty direct. There you have it. Joe Biden says an impeachment trial would have a worse effect if it didn't happen. Strong words, I guess. <laughs> but acknowledged no. it was unlikely that Trump would be convicted. If Trump is not convicted, as we said, he still could run for office. The question is, would he have voters? Is it worth it just to just placate them? I mean, yeah. Over half of Republican voters, 56% this week, believe that Trump should and will run again for president in 2024. A reminder that Sammy shared a really terrifying uh, archival New York Times story yesterday that basically described uh, Adolf Hitler retiring to go live a peaceful life. He had a new tone in 1924 and just assumed he was going to go away and it would be fine. And that's not how that ended. Do we think he would run again? Again, listeners, you can't see my face. <laughs> so I feel the need to just impress upon you that my face was saying so many things. Um, <laughs> before I actually, if you like, put this on like two speed, you can hear her face. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. Play it backwards. Um. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the the point is, is that oh gosh, I mean, it. People have been saying for a very long time, including myself, among many other people, that this is there's a fundamental issue with the Republican Party that Trump is a manifestation of problems inside the Republican Party. This is, he's not a black swan of it. He didn't just happen. This is not like, you know, and then he broke them. They, they want this. This is who they are. 
how long has it been like this? I don't know. You can continue going back. There are people argue different things. I personally argue that it happened in 64 when Goldwater took over the party and it's just been a downhill slide from there. In various stages, people lie to themselves about how bad the Republicans are and what they will be willing to countenance to have control over American government. But it's definitely gotten worse. And so now you're, you're looking at, like, you know, if we don't create accountability for this, just like we didn't create accountability for the Bush administration, just like we didn't have accountability for the Reagan administration, just like we didn't have accountability for the Nixon administration, it's going to get worse. Nixon was pardoned, Reagan happened. Reagan never faced anything for Iran-Contra, and W happens, he lies us into a war with fabricated evidence that we're still fighting, by the way, by the way, it's still killing Americans. By the way, it's still killing Iraqis. By the way, it's killing Syrians. The entire thing blew up exactly as people told them it would. Afghanistan's still happening. 9-11 happened. We're almost at 20 years past that. And both of the wars that were started to supposedly make up for that attack have killed scores more people than the actual attacks themselves. And we're still in them approaching the 20th anniversary of the attack itself. That is in sauna. It's not reasonable. And I can't believe we're still here. And we did nothing about that because Barack Obama wanted to look forward and not back. And now mm-hmm. we've got an actual insurrection of white supremacists trying to murder members of Congress for asserting the truth, which is that <laughs> Donald Trump lost the election and Joe Biden is president of the United States. And we're gonna we have republicans saying you guys let's just all move on it's three weeks later it's three weeks after they they set up a gallows outside the capitol with a noose it is incidental that nobody was slaughtered that day and people were people were it is so incredible that no one died that no sitting member of congress died it is in it is we're all very lucky because it was real close. Totally. The reason I never watched that Netflix show, Designated Survivor, is because it didn't seem realistic enough. It was like, that would never happen. It would never happen that the Capitol was just attacked and everybody died. That would never happen. It almost happened. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes... But beyond that, too, since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great. It looks fancy on the shelf. And I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And Pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. 
They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash fever dream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash fever dream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash fever dream. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are for dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. It's especially rich that they did a specific vote on like the constitutionality. And of course, they're looking at the specific parts about impeachment and what they have latitude to do. But like even a very casual observer or somebody with even an elementary school, middle school level knowledge of the constitution and the American origin story knows that like the main thing that they didn't want was a king and like somebody that could lead us and do whatever they wanted. We've been litigating the rest, but that's like the the main sentiment. So the fact that this man is acting like a king, led a deadly insurrection, is not going to have any consequences, enriched himself in office. It's just... You just can hear them shouting from the grave that this is precisely the reason they like did all of this in the first place so that Donald Trump doesn't happen. They have contemporaneous writings. There's a whole set of federal, like I I get that people think that the founders were like some sort of uh, like American Voltron or some shit where like they all had the same, they all aligned emotionally and spiritually to create America. That's not how that works. Okay. Okay. They, a lot of them hated each other. A lot of them thought that the other people were stupid as fuck. A lot of the ideas, a lot of them had never made it into the final documents. A lot of compromises. (laughs) I'm sorry. This is a black prison. We have a very famous one where made get this thing off the ground. And a lot of them were horribly immoral, but you have lots of the debate actually written down and available to look at. The Federalist Papers are literally in libraries. You can download mm-hmm. them for free. Like, what, what is happening here, people? That's what Mitt Romney was talking, like Mitt Romney, he's like, I'm not a lawyer, but like I read what they said, I can read. And they said, this is when you have to impeach again. Like, I don't know what else to tell you. It's all out there. It's not a secret. You're so right. It's like everyone acts like, man, they were just so opaque about what they wanted us to do with this document. No, they fucking weren't. What are you talking about? It's like when people suggest that amendments that were added to the Constitution after the founders were like less legitimate. And I was like, they put the mechanism into the document. They were expecting us to change it. What is wrong with you? Anyway, I... I, I've lost 45 senators, the people whose job it is, is to like 
their job isn't to interpret it, but to abide by it, who swear an oath to it. And they're just like, nah, no. No From way. enemies, Reply. foreign and domestic. It is in the fucking oath. Apparently, you're not really a domestic enemy of the United States if you agree with Republicans. Problem right. solved, you guys. There's nothing you can do that's illegal against the United States. You, you say, like, try to murder elected officials? You guys, it's, it's not a problem. Do they believe in tax cuts? <laughs> Yeah. This is where we're at. This is, it's just, I, I know it's really bad because my fear of, it's like the past week, the past couple days, I might have like, my body has experienced the shift and like, I've like started to like feel differently day to day. But now I am even, I'm like even more scared of him coming back because it was, we've been so focused on getting him out this fascist dictator and that was our main concern. And that has given me so much anxiety for years. And now we did. And now I'm like, oh my God, he could come back. They're not doing what it takes to stop him from coming back. We we saw Hitler come back. What are they doing? And that is making me, filling me with so much more dread, like a different type of anxiety and dread, because that feels like it doesn't have a solution. If he comes back, like, I don't know what happens. I mean, the bigger question, I think, after one week after inauguration is, did he ever leave? You know, like, this is a sign that he hasn't left and that, you know, this notion, I remember people were asking back in 2016, like, what's going to happen, you know, before the election? Assuming that he was going to lose, like, what is he going to do next? And the answer is, is like, well, what happens after you open Pandora's box? you don't stuff the things back in. You have to figure out how to live in a world where you've opened up this thing and it's, it's, it's affecting the world. And like to the degree, um, you know, to go back to the, the fundament, that myth, the fundamental myth, you know, they stuffed all the evils of the world into the box and, you know, Pandora couldn't stop herself. She was so curious. She had to open it. And the only thing left inside once everything else was gone was hope. And like you, that, that is the last thing that we have is that we can hope that we can figure out some structure to build in this world to deal with those evils and not to just let them run rampant, which appears to be the process that Democrats are going through right now, where they're like, well, it's better to get something than nothing. Like, no, it's better no. to no. destroy your enemies. Like, this, they are going to destroy you. It's just humanity's enemies. And nearly half a million Americans, okay, well, let's be honest, more than half a million Americans will die from coronavirus. It is we'll never know the full toll, yeah. Well, that's not even counting the secondary order deaths, the people who weren't able to get to emergency rooms or ICUs or have any medical, necessary medical treatment because every resource in our healthcare system is going to taking care of the virus, which was the thing we were warned about, which is the thing that is killing people. That's not counting the people who died at home. There's so many levels to this. We are never going to know the full death toll, but I just want to be clear that we have now lost more Americans to Republican theories of governance to the way they run the country to the vision they have for america this is not something that happened incidentally this is not like oh it's a pandemic so people are going to die there's a certain inevitability but you look at the number of casualties the united states has had from this pandemic compared to its industrialized developed neighbors 
in the world stage, economies that are a fraction of ours, and they have been doing better with less, which means that we structurally chose to kill our own people. And that was decisions made by Republican lawmakers. That was decisions made by a Republican president. And they've killed more people than the Nazis did, than the Imperial Japanese did in the entire span of World War II. We need to have a real reckoning with the fact that we are now at a death toll that's higher than one of America's biggest armed conflicts. Death is nothing compared (laughs) to this pandemic. I know. How high does the number need to get until we start to sort of register that, I guess? And on the daily this morning, they said, we basically did herd immunity accidentally. Like, so the problem with herd immunity is that you don't do it because so many people die. Um, well, we managed this so poorly that about a third of the, the nation has been infected and 400,000 people have died. So we got there because we bungled this so badly that enough people got infected. We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. So the filibuster is relevant here. That's why we wanted to return to it. As Caitlin mentioned, Voters saw how Republicans in power handled this crisis, and they said, no, thank you. We would like an alternative. So now, again, we're asking ourselves the questions, why aren't Democrats, or will they take the path that they need to take to fulfill their mandate, to save lives, and to govern? So we wanted to revisit the filibuster a little bit today, uh, because there's really just like so much to talk about with it. 
As we mentioned yesterday, a filibuster requires a 60 vote supermajority to move legislation forward. Whenever I talk about this, it's just, we can explain it a lot and there are so many elements, but it just fundamentally is so illogical to me that the party that wins the majority would not use it. Um, especially when they're doing so in good faith. Democrats will only have a 51 vote majority with Kamala Harris's tie-breaking VP vote, but without doing away with the filibuster, it's really unclear how anything will make it through a Senate with Mitch McConnell leading the Republicans. What Mitch McConnell has described as the nuclear option means removing the filibuster. He has done this himself. He did it for Supreme Court nominees in 2017. I think people forget it used to take a lot more senators to confirm somebody to a lifetime appointment. Democrats had done it in 2013, and now we're looking at doing it potentially uh, this year to move some legislation forward. But we wanted to look today at some of its roots because it has been used to achieve very particular aims, specifically to maintain white supremacy. It began as a tactic on the congressional floor in the 1840s when Confederates used the filibuster to delay new states, such as California, that were in favor of abolishing slavery from entering Congress. I didn't know that the California beef went back <laughs> that far. Southern Democrats also used the filibuster pretty famously in the 20th century to defeat anti-lynching and civil rights legislation in the 20th century. A ridiculous sentence in any time especially when you remember that Rand Paul did this very recently. The longest filibuster is Strom Thurmond, who filibustered for 24 hours and 18 minutes against the Civil Rights Act of 1957. Cloture, or simple majority, was enacted in 1964 after a 60-day filibuster against the Civil Rights Act. And former President Barack Obama described the filibuster at John Lewis's funeral as a Jim Crow relic. So this time, amid the filibuster conversation, we, we do seem to be having conversations about how it has been used to preserve white supremacy, which is hopefully something we're all looking very close at. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the history of the filibuster is an anti-majoritarian tool buried in an anti-majoritarian chamber. Like, literally, the purpose of the Senate is to slow yeah, things down and to inspect things. And then, in theory, in order for you to get that majority, you have to have a broad coalition because it's very unlikely that you'll get to that halfway point without getting senators from small states. It's just impossible. The nature of the balance of the Senate is that you're going to need to appeal to people from a broad section. That's how it works. But the issue is, I mean, like 1840s, let's talk about, let's toss out uh, John C. Calhoun, uh, senator from South Carolina and, uh, you know, former vice president of the United States. Jeez so many white supremacists in government. Um, it's actually easier to find the people who weren't white supremacists yeah. in our government than it is to find the people who were. Okay, so John Calhoun ran on this concept, uh, actually, and Andrew Jackson like messed him up over it, which was the notion of nullification, that if you don't like a law, you as a senator uh, representing your state can just choose not to follow the law. You can see the roots of this thing here. And so the filibuster as a practice, undoubtedly arising from something like nullification, something like that same strain of thinking, which is if I don't like it, then it must be, a, if it's a threat to the way I function, then I'm allowed to damage it. So you What have about a, the social contract? I mean, that's just not even, we're not even starting there. <laughs> the social contract in the United States for an enormous and terrifyingly large group of people 
is the dominion of white men over all of the natural bounty of this country. Anything that it develops and it's for. And there are a lot of people who believe that that's what the country was founded on. Um, Manifest destiny, that whole fun thing, slavery. And then they weirdly like argue about it and say like, no, it wasn't based on these things, but weirdly only white men matter in history. Like, Right. They gave tons of free land to white men who wanted to explore the West and then give a damn thing to when they let enslaved people be free. Yeah. And they stole it all from native people who they murdered systematically and not systematically, just generally just murdered. Anyway, the point being that like these, the filibuster in particular is a strain of practice in American politics that goes back to that very strong purpose of embedding power within the smallest number of people possible. It is the exact opposite of how a representative government should function. And it's not a surprise that people who are anti-representative government and anti-democratic government and anti-majoritarian government have used it over the years for very specific things that should have broad consensus, but in fact, then they can stop it by using this little, this little tactic. Now, Democrats did start using it more often during the Bush years. Um, and Mitch McConnell raised it to an art form by basically making cloture votes the norm, which is outrageous. Like, people are always like, oh, man, like, government's not supposed to do anything or blah, 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 blah. Our government can't do anything. And I'm just looking at American history and be like, our government's actually been very good at doing stuff like we've accomplished a lot of things like the new deal happened like how do you think that happened and it's like well it wasn't because they had to get cloture votes on everything all the cloture didn't even exist like the filibuster was a rarely used tool only to be taken out in the worst case scenario and most people basically if you used a filibuster people were like we don't take like that in of itself demonstrated where you were on an issue they were like, well, this person is willing to wreck everything to stop this from happening. Sometimes it makes some people be like, eh, is it really worth it trying to force it through? And other times it would be like, wow, that person's an, a fundamental threat. We got to do it over their objections. So, but the truth is that's a very rare tool until basically Mitch McConnell said, oh, everything has to have a 60 vote supermajority because that's the only way we can know that the country is really behind this law. And of course, like it's all, it's very difficult to get. Like that's why statehood requires a two-thirds majority. That's why like you keep going through and it's like, okay, so only parts of the system that like can't be undone usually require a 60 vote majority. And now like naming renaming a post office requires a 60 fucking vote majority. Like, where did this come from? It's Mitch McConnell deciding that like the Senate shouldn't function unless it's going to function for white supremacy. Yeah. Which is hilarious because yesterday he tweeted, Chuck Schumer can't do this to the Senate rules. I won't let it happen. Where he has jammed through so many Supreme Court justices and got rid of the filibuster for them. So we don't, I I have no response to Mitch McConnell there. Do you think that the filibuster will, do you think Democrats will get rid of it is my first question. Um, And do you think it will happen attached to our particular issue? And do you think that's the way to make it happen? Like, should we wait until there is something so universally adored that, and Republicans are opposed to it, that we're like, this is the time where we have to get rid of it. Like, 
what's an example? Let's let me think like the $15 minimum wage is probably gonna, they might figure out a way to maneuver it through through budget reconciliation. I don't even know this this would look like as legislative, but let's say it's something that's so popular and the whole nation is like, yeah, of course. Of course, Democrats had to get rid of the filibuster because Republicans are being unreasonable. Do you think that's the path where this goes away? Or do you think it's more like abstracted from a particular issue? I think it's unlikely that Democrats are going to be able to get rid of the filibuster really around a particular issue. Well, let me put it this way. Uh, gun, gun limitation measures... Um, have 90% approval across the country. Generally, when you ask about specific efforts, things like background checks and like all that stuff, like should these laws be in place and should they be enforced? And like 90%, we get like as close as you can get to national consensus. We couldn't do it when they had 20 dead kindergartners. So I suspect that no, that there's not going to be an issue that you can get enough consensus yeah. on that is going to make Republicans look bad. I think like once you got to that, where like there are actual dead children and it didn't do anything. The Democrats had the Senate. So Democrats at that time chose not to use the nuclear option to get gun control passed. Yeah. Like they that's crazy. still had control of the Senate. This was 2012. So that's before the 2014 Senate majority um, from Republicans, um, which is technically 2015. Like it's really important. Like the swearing in dates matter. Oh, right. Because, right. Because mm-hmm. um, yeah, reasons, right? Like then you're talking about who has actual legislative power in that span. So Democrats, um, gosh, they did not. I mean, that's right. It was end of 2012. Yeah. There's now getting to a point where, like, Democrats are almost as big of a problem as the Republican Party. Like, the Republican Party is an existential crisis facing this country, and Democrats (laughs) continue, like, what if we do nicer things for them? I don't know if anyone's seen The Good Place, but it is like The Good Place people. It's like, like, when they're just like, maybe if we just concede, like, everything will work out. And you're like, no. Don't just, what, what, that's not the answer to any of this. Democrats are like, Democrats are like, why would we ask for forgiveness when we can ask for permission? No, no, that's not how this is done. If there's going to be a nuking of the filibuster, it is going to happen as a raw power play. And Democrats will have had to step into a space where they're like, literally, we can't with you anymore. Like we can't continue doing this. We can't continue lying about it. Like, you know what? Bitch about it later. Like, bitch about all you want. Bitch about your propaganda network. It doesn't matter. Well, I mean, no matter yeah. what we do, you're going to bitch about it. So you're going to tell your followers to come murder us no matter what we do. We try to concede to you. You murder us. We, we actually do what we should do. You murder us. Like, mm-hmm. just get in your heads. They're always going to hate you. There's nothing you can do to make them stop. This is who the party is. Trump is who the party is. They all are in on it. They all want power. The only way you're going to stop them is by stripping it from them. I'm big on getting rid of the filibuster. I'm big on using this impeachment vote, like going ahead with impeachment, and then basically any Republican that votes against it, you should just assume that they should be removed from office under the 14th Amendment. Like, I, I would use the two votes really cleanly. The one to certify the vote and the one... Uh, over impeachment and anyone who voted against those things like that's aid and comfort right there you want Mm -hmm. another insurrection you are telling people who have promised violence that you think it is good and okay and you're not going to stop until someone 
actually dies. And someone did die. Like, there's a Capitol mm-hmm. Police officer died because they were tr- he was in between the mob and Congress. That's why he died. No other Absolutely. reason. You can't try to be like, well, and then blah, blah, blah. He was there to be between the mob and their targets. And he died for that. And that's happened before with, and I'm going to toss this out there, lynch mobs. That is the thing. That, that, that is what it looks like. That is so. Right. Again, there is a reason why all these amendments were added after our nation experienced the Civil War. And there's a reason that language refers to sedition and treason more broadly. It was obviously designed for for traitors during the Civil War and for the Confederates, but it applies, still applies. It's like, oh, but it's not the Civil War. We're not actively trying, some of them are actively trying to secede. But it's like, if you're not, if you don't look like a Civil War Confederate reenactor, it's like, you're untouchable. No, sir, no. Well, <laughs> we'll be watching it, probably lots of filibuster news. And wanted to say before we go, because uh, you mentioned Amanda Gorman, our most popular t-shirt that we sell is the Icons tee. And we made a special inauguration version that says Kamala, Michelle, Jill, and Amanda. And we made it in four different jewel tones. We made it in purple, berry, teal, and bright yellow. And we are donating uh, we are donating 10% of proceeds to Higher Heights, which supports black women in leadership. We haven't promoted these yet, and they're going to sell out fast, so go check them out now at betches.co slash sup shop. I'll link to them later. We're so excited about them. Thanks, Caitlin. Until We'll send you one, too. What color do you want? Oh, ooh. Um, wow, jewel tones. I think i got to go I don't with think yellow is a jewel tone, but. I mean. Yeah, the berry's great. The berry. I got I to gotta rep Michelle. You know, she. she exactly. <laughs> she really did. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Up Podcast. The Betches Up Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales Pico, and Sean Kilby. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Artwork by Brittany Levine. Our podcast director is Sean Kilby. Be sure to follow us at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send your emails to SupPod at Betches.com. 